Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Swarley and Teddy Westside. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Pete's Luncheonette. Come eat at Pete's and get the best salad in town. It's really big. Welcome to The Pestle. Hi, I'm Wes. <laughs> and I am Todd. And this is a show where we like to analyze films and TV shows as of late and kind of pick them apart in a, in a good way. I don't think we're ever too harsh on things. Uh, well, we're honest. I would say we're, we don't necessarily hold punches, but we also um, have an optimistic side that we understand that these, these are difficult things to do, productions, to write and foresee the whole entire universe before and, and create it and see it through to the end. And so uh, I think we try to pay due respect to even uh, some of the, the films that we dislike, even uh, Twilight and uh, uh, Transformers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, uh, spoiler alert, if you have seen um, How I Met Your Mother, the pilot for that, or or Seinfeld or any of these, uh, make sure you pause this episode, go watch those, and then come back and, and join us. Yeah, we'll talk about a lot of things. Um, mostly, obviously, this episode where we're going we're gonna to be talking about How I Met Your Mother, uh, but we'll also probably reference Friends and Cheers since those are the last two episodes that are kind of in the same right. ballpark. And uh, we'll talk about a few things, uh, writing and story and cinematography, um, and we'll touch on the end of the show. So if you have not seen How I Met Your Mother more than Friends and Cheers, uh, this show has a very specific path that it's taking and if you don't know how it ends you may want to hold off and i don't know binge watch for the next three weeks <laughs> this show yeah <laughs> it's really long it's a very long ride how many seasons is it nine nine Eight? seasons nine yeah nine um i noticed you're in a new place man yeah so just got moved into a new apartment it's uh it's nice man my last apartment was a bit of a nightmare in in the worst ways, like the, the apartment itself was fine. I don't, I don't really care too much about, uh, accoutrement and whatnot, but, uh, the, the management there was like pretty awful people to be quite blunt about it. <laughs> this, I will be critical about because I was paying these people money and they were like, at one point they literally towed my car based on something that wasn't in our contract. Like they said, I needed to have a parking sticker, but they never told me like that. I, needed a parking sticker so i just kind of mm. i was in ireland filming and i get an email from a buddy saying hey your your car got towed and i was like what are you, that's not possible i told them i'm going to ireland uh they didn't try to contact me or anything and so i when i get back sure enough my car was towed and they uh they said that yeah you didn't have a parking sticker i was like you never told me i needed one i've been in your office like a thousand times and i just signed a new lease like three months ago, I just read my lease. None of this says anything about a parking pass. Like this is insane. And they're like, Oh yeah, you know, uh, well, sorry about that. Uh, but you know, you gotta have to go, you're gonna have to go pay to get your car out of a uh, tow out of impact. Oh my gosh. And it was just one of these things. Like I was beside myself. Um, and they definitely have not heard the last of this. I've waited to move out and now uh, I'm going to get a lawyer because I just, I, Good. I cannot believe anybody would do that. Like it was just insane. And so they did that fast forward, like two weeks, I buy a new car and 
they tow it again because they wanted to pave the parking lot and didn't tell me that they were going to pave the parking lot. Um, and instead of saying, hey, can you move your car to the other side of the, the lot? They just towed me again. And in doing so, uh, scratched my new car uh, and took no responsibility for that either. So I'm just and that's still only kind of getting in the high level. So this wow, this new apartment is definitely definitely nicer like on the eyes i would not be ashamed to have people here or even film in this place not that i didn't film in the last place because i'm a filmmaker and you use what you have but i would i would use this place in a much different way i would like have this somewhere that people want to be instead of like a i don't know a dungeon or something um (laughs) but even more than that the uh, the management is super cool like we've already had one kind of misstep and the way they've handled it is just night and day difference like they didn't tell me i was supposed to be paying for the washer and dryer that was supposed to be included in the in the rent and they were like hey yeah we under we blew this one we screwed this up uh we're gonna try to make it right uh blah 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 and so we're still kind of working through that but the attitude is completely different i don't mind stuff happens you know this is life i understand that but it's how you deal with these scenarios so I am still getting unpacked we just literally finished moving yesterday um oh man so still getting unpacked and in the middle of casting and location scouting for a 30 page drama. Uh, so I feel like my hair is slightly on fire, uh, and I can't quite focus on any one thing. (laughs) So it's the next few weeks are, uh, challenging to say the least, especially because you're going to let me audition for one of those roles and it's going to be real. I'm just going to let you know, it's gonna be really awkward if I don't get the part. (laughs) Just going to say, just going to say, we're going to have some really awkward pestles <laughs> if, if I don't get the part. Just saying. Yeah. Know, and all I'm going to do hold the grudge. is I'll just keep replaying instead of a show intro. I'm going to play bits and pieces of your audition tape. <laughs> so. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, you win. You win. <laughs> this show brought to you by my name is Todd Tapio <laughs> <laughs> with Brown Agency. And then, and then I'm going to turn it into like uh, an EDM mix (laughs) (laughs) like one of those bad lip syncing (laughs) videos oh please please do that to me that'd be amazing Uh, no i am excited (laughs) about it um and i'll I'll, i think you know i'll kind of touch on that in this episode too because it's hard casting is hard so maybe i can talk about things i'm going to be looking for and um how that relates to casting something like a tv show pilot because that's a freaking challenge bro and so, yeah, we're going to uh, talk I about mean, <laughs> it's everything. It's everything, especially for a sitcom. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll touch on all the things, writing, cinematography, how it ends and other such stuff and things and stuff. Yeah. So quick synopsis. A father recounts to his children through a series of flashbacks the journey he and his four best friends took leading up to him meeting their mother. It's created by Carter Bays and Craig Thomas featuring Josh Radner as Ted Mosby, Jason Siegel as Marshall Erickson, Kobe Smolders as Robin Sherbatsky, Neil Patrick Harris as Barney Stinson and Allison Hannigan as Lily Aldrin. Did Marshall give me the signal? No, I didn't, I swear. But see, at least tonight, I get to sleep knowing Marshall and me, never gonna happen. You should have kissed her. I should have kissed her. Well, maybe in a week when she gets back from Orlando. A week? That's like a year in hot girl time. She'll forget all about you. Mark my words, you will never see that one again. There she is. 
Oh, she's cute. Hey, Carl, turn it up. Waited him to reconsider. At which point the man came down off the ledge, giving this bizarre story a happy ending. Reporting huh. from Metro One News. That didn't jump. You, I'm gonna go kiss her right now. Look, dude, it's midnight. As your future lawyer, I'm gonna advise you. That's freaking crazy. I never do anything crazy. I'm always waiting for the moment, planning the moment. Well, she's leaving tomorrow. This may be the only moment I'm gonna get. I gotta do what that guy couldn't. I gotta take the leap. Okay, not a perfect metaphor, because for me, it's fall in love and get married, and for him, it's death. Actually, that is a perfect metaphor. By the way, did I congratulate you two? Nice. So, <laughs> I got two questions right off the bat for you. For one, the show as a whole, like, what's your... Because uh, I know you watched this whole thing before, a while ago, to be fair. Show as a whole and the pilot uh, in specific, like, how do you feel about both of these things? I mean, yeah, the show as a whole, it's so weird because I love the show, but I had my... my issues with Ted. He's just such like a over the top fallen, you know, like in love with being in love kind of guy. Um, that, that at times you're like, dude, chill, really? Like my God. And this episode was like a good, a good, uh, example of that. I mean, you know, showing up at her house and telling her he loved her that the two o'clock in the morning, their first date. But honestly is it's a brilliant show. I just love it. I love the way that they use their flashbacks. I mean, it's, it's a show about flashbacks. Like it, they use flashbacks better than any, any other show. I mean, obviously and all the time constantly, but that's kind of welcoming because it takes you out of the moment, gives you another little tidbit story, a little bit of history, uh, a little bit more solidifying, uh, of the, of the, the character, right. To give you a little bit backstory. So you feel like you've known them for years. You know, even after the first episode, you feel like you've known them for years because there's actual flashbacks of of them. Um, so it's a good way to kind of like solidify this is the crew. And then you kind of know what to expect moving forward. They do a really good job of establishing everybody. You know that Barney is like, you know, the the, the player, you know, that uh, Lily and and Marshall, they're, you know, together they've been together since they were in high school you know that ted is like crazy about falling in love and so it it was really good it's really good at establishing the characters you end up really liking the characters in the end even ted who is for me difficult to like i still end up liking him in the end but i might like him because i know because i've seen all the episodes and i know like you know how it turns out and all the things that happened to him and with it, with uh, him and Robin and stuff. But it's also just endearing because it was such a good time in my life watching when I was watching the show and catching up on it. So I loved it. I love the show. I love the pilot. I think it's a brilliant pilot. I mean, that blue French horn is the, it like started on uh, first episode. It's in the last, it's like, throughout the entirety of the show it circulated around this blue french horn and about robin and you and the friends and you establish it right then it's great yeah that's that's a really good bookend and it's one of those things where i assume they knew that at the beginning but maybe not maybe it's just one of those kind of as how can you know that over nine seasons right you just kind of like establish like okay blue french horn we're just gonna keep coming back to this right it's a nice it's a nice little uh way to have some kind of iconic 
unique thing about your show. Yeah. And I think every show probably wants something like that, but very few can, can pull it off. Like I think to any average TV watcher, if I were to pull out a blue French horn and hold it up, it's very, uh, and I think they're, they're kind of stealing that from say anything like the boom box overhead. Um, and it's why not? Like they're, I think they do a great job of not overly ripping it off. It's homage, you know, if, if you notice it and uh, really cool if you don't. And so it's, yeah, I think everybody would understand what I'm doing, you know, if, if I held that up. And to me, that's what Iconic is all about. And it's creating something identifiable and unique and can and evoke something like him holding that up. Because that was the, the the whole thing at the at the end of the episode, right? Is I need, you know, to to make one dramatic gesture. And what better way can I do that than uh, get this thing that was a conversation piece on our first date? And then, you know, at mm. at the final episode, he doesn't he ha- doesn't have to say a word. You know, he's just there holding it and she's like, Yeah. And then smash cut, you know, to credits or whatever. But I would say overall same. I mean I've seen this show a lot, like a lot, a lot. It became my show to fall asleep to for a while. And so I've probably seen it uh, in some fashion or another in its entirety between five and seven times. Um, the whole show? Yeah, the whole show. Like the, uh, the wow. Yeah, the the first time I, I didn't start watching this until 2012 after uh, I quit my job and became like a full-time filmmaker. And was so, that 2012? That was 2012. Oh, my God. Eight years ago. Wow. And so the first thing you do whenever you quit your job is sit around and watch TV endlessly. TV. Yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> so right. Literally for the first two weeks, I just sat around watching How I Met Your Mother and like eating ice cream. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I too have very good memories of watching. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time in your life yeah. too. Yeah. But I, I think watching the uh, the pilot, it's so funny just because you understand where the show ends up. And so uh, for me watching the pilot, I can see how stiff and clunky it is in certain aspects, uh, like the performances and uh, the dialogue. You can see they're still finding their way and. It's hard, so hard to generate chemistry with right off the bat, like from the first episode, you have to make people believe that these are all best friends and they've known each other for years and years. Like they all met their first year in college and they've been best friends ever since. And that's why casting is so critical. And to your point earlier, the flashbacks do so much to help solidify that in the viewer's mind because whereas most uh, most pilots you know you get to see the characters in four or five scenes here we get to see them in i don't know seven or eight scenes and the more you see them in new areas uh, in new environments and giving them backstory and you flash back and then flash forward it suddenly builds out the world even though it's only been 22 minutes you feel like you've been sitting with these people you know for a couple of years and that is the magic of having uh, flashbacks as your exposition. It's very convenient. Mm-hmm. But that's why casting is also so important. Is And it's so difficult. Like for me, whenever I'm casting, I don't usually have to worry about, am I going to be working with these people 
for the next five years. And whenever you're shooting a, a pilot, that's that's your hope. You want to make it to five or six years because at that point, I think the deals get much, much better. You're renegotiating your contracts and you're starting to look at real money and real pay in terms of syndication. Uh, that's a very magic time frame. So you're always aiming for that five-year mark. And so whenever you're casting, you're thinking, do I want to work with this person for five years? It, it can't just be about the performance. Uh, it's, it's mostly about the performance. Uh, but then once you get to a certain crop, you got to start thinking, can I work with these people <laughs> day in and day out? Because a pilot uh, or a TV show, you're looking at 20 to 24 episodes a year. And if each one of these episodes takes a week to shoot, that's six months of just shooting on set with these people. And so you really need to, to think about personality. And so a lot of stuff, whenever I'm casting, I'm, I'm this thing that we're, we're going to start casting, you know, my, this drama that I'm working on, I'm going to do it in three, three different, uh, sessions, three different weeks or uh, phases. So the first phase is going to be, everyone's going to self record, self tape your audition. And for a lot of these people, they need to be musicians. So show me playing your music and also pick a monologue. You know, most, I think most actors have a monologue that they already have ready to go. I know I always had one that I worked on and could show on a 10 minutes notice. I could be performing a monologue and most, most actors have that in the bag. So do a monologue and show, you know, that you can play music. And the first, this first round is just to see who, who's not a, who's, who's, who's competent. <laughs> I just want to know that you can do both of those things. Are you an actor? Um, and I can probably look at your resume and find that out. But I also want to know that, you know, your own work you take seriously and you can perform and you can play the music. And that's enough to pick, you know, 15, 20 people to move into the second round where they'll start working on the material that I've written. And then they can show me that, yeah, I can take this character, you know, and make it my own. And then the third round will be and that second round will be over video because we're living in the time of uh, COVID. And so the third round, I'm we're going to see if if by that time, you know, the restrictions feel good enough that we can do some in-person auditions uh, and see how that goes. That's TBD. You know, like we don't know um, at this point. And for those in the know, we're recording uh, on May 5th. And so if you're listening to this in June, it may be obvious, but it's not as obvious in, uh, mm -hmm. in early May. <laughs> and so yeah. that's the hope. And my part of my process is, especially for, you know, in-person auditions is do they show up on time? Like, can you be punctual? Can, and do you, do you have, you know, your script more or less memorized? And it's not to say you can't have your script in hand. I don't mind that at all. Cause every once in a while you need to reference it. Uh, that's fine. But by and large, you should know your lines. And those are two major tells for me, but you also shouldn't be locked in. I want to know that if I need to change your emotional direction, that the words on the page are just words on the page they're not your intention. Everything that you're creating for the character is inside you and it's not in your delivery. Your delivery is, is the end result of that intention you're creating within as an actor. And so if I say, um, yeah, you're playing, you know, you're playing this, that was a really great read and I'll do this just to do it, just to see if they're capable or if they're locked into their own read. 
And so I'll give them a contradictory read just to see if they can uh, be directable. And so if they played it angry, I'll say that was fantastic. Uh, actually, can you can you try it that you're just more distraught and upset? You're not you're not mad um, and then see how they take it from there. And that can give me so much information about what it's going to be like to work with you on set, because Sometimes a client is on set and they need to change something or, uh, for whatever reason. And I need to figure out, can I rework this scene with you on the fly? And that's only something you can find by changing something. It's not about casting for the look. It's For me, it's all about casting for the, uh, uh, the actor who's the best actor mm-hmm. that I can get for this part. And if they happen to fit the look as well, all the better. But I, I always start with performance. And for cool. them... Yeah, and I think for something like a sitcom, man, you you want someone who can take it somewhere that you didn't know as a writer. That's the weirdest thing in the world is to write something and to see someone else perform it. And you're like, oh, I didn't even consider that it could be read that way. Like I hear these yeah. voices in my head when I'm writing, you know, and you know this, you're a writer. Like you, for me anyway, whenever I'm writing dialogue, I, I can literally hear the characters talking uh, in my head and... I'm kind of following now they don't have their own uh, lives. I know some writers have this thing where the writers have the only, uh, the, the characters have their own thing that they want to do. I don't necessarily have that as strong. I have, they're still my puppets, but I can hear them talking. <laughs> and for a sitcom, whenever you're thinking, I don't know where this character is going to go. And at the end of this season, let alone, you know, the fourth season, you need to know that if suddenly they go into a deep depression, that this actor can do this. So I can only imagine how many, if I'm doing three for one 30 minute drama, casting a sitcom pilot, you're probably doing 10 rounds and then screen testing with all your cast members and then screen testing with other cast members to see if that's a better fit. Like it's probably a nightmare (laughs) as an actor. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But that's, that's like, you know, part of the fun of it. I think, you know, like, right. Don't you like kind of live for that? Getting a call back you know, booking or like, you know, getting a second callback, like, you know, getting asked to read in certain, in different ways. Like, yeah, it's nerve wracking, but and it's exciting. Right. Yeah. But like, I'm going to audition for you. I'll be just like, if I get a callback, I'll be just as excited as if it were, you know, somebody I didn't know, like this, uh, like it has nothing to do with it. It's just about the excitement of, of like, Oh man, I made it to the next round, whether I book it or not, whatever, you know, but just getting one of one of those and having the opportunity to to put your stamp on on a on a script or on you know some lines is just it's like so fulfilling it's so much fun to to do you know especially on a drama like my god man that that's like you know from someone who does like commercials all over the place and like there's there's no drama in the commercials, <laughs> you know, I mean, are you lucky if you have lines and if you do, um, they're definitely not dramatic. So, um, it's, it definitely scratches that itch for sure to be able to at least audition, you know, totally. Yeah. Commercials. It's all shiny, happy people. It's very little like, Oh, you know, I, I'm conflicted and I am, I'm, I'm playing against someone who wants something different than me. And now I have to figure out how to get what I want out of them. And that's hard and it makes you really physically engage uh in a way that commercials it's almost how hard can you smile and uh Mm -hmm. and look like you fit into the scenery because you're just a prop like in most of these commercials and 
that's exhausting, man. I remember in that experience, I know exactly what you mean because, uh, for years I was just auditioning and not getting any callbacks. Uh, and at a certain point I stopped caring and I just started enjoying the audition itself. Like I get to perform today. And if there were lines in the performance so much better, cause now I really get to uh, chew on a scene and, uh, try to make something magical in the room and, see if I can get the casting director's attention and just be fulfilled in performing. And that's, that's fun. Like once you get to that place where it's great, if I book or if I get a call back, amazing. I am super excited about that, but even better if I'm just excited about the, uh, the script and the opportunity to perform, you know, as a performer, the stage is addicting. (laughs) And honestly, it's like, there's something kind of fulfilling about being judged in in kind of like what you do like because it's it's cool you know sit in your room and play guitar that's cool but it's so much cooler to play your guitar for someone who then and then there that that pregnant pause where you're you when you're done like wondering like was that good did they like it are they going to tell me the truth? Like, you know, like those kinds of things, like that's kind of like what makes you feel alive as an artist is that kind of, that kind of thing. It's like, you know, I could write a hundred songs in my room, but it doesn't matter. Or I could, you know, perform or practice, you know, uh, lines and stuff in my room, but it doesn't, doesn't really matter unless I'm performing it with somebody who's going to, you know, either give me feedback or give me the gig. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. Anyway, casting, very yeah. important, super important, <laughs> very long, yeah. painful process, but clearly critical to any production because, uh, right. as much as, you know, every role on set understands they're important to the set production. Nobody arguably is more important than who's in front of the camera. And you know what? It, it's just to interrupt you for a second. It's interesting because I always feel, and I, maybe I just, I don't know. I don't know why I do, but I always feel a little like, like when I'm on a set, like when I'm acting on a set and I've been hired, I'm like, you know, the actor. I, I have this like really weird feeling of wanting to take care of everybody else mm-hmm. of like feeling like I don't want to be the entitled actor you know, while you got these guys and I know it's their job, but you got these guys, you know, like hoisting big, heavy lights and moving shit around like really fast. And like, you know, a a director with a vision and, and, you know, all this stuff, like, and nothing can happen without all of them. Right. And all I have to do is act, just act. Right. And arguably it's the hardest job. Like, let's, let's be honest, like to do it well, it's arguably the hardest job, but it just feels like I just always feel a little bit like, man, I hope nobody thinks that I'm being, you know, like, oh, the actor, <laughs> you know, it's uh, funny because it's so important. And especially on like union projects, uh, you're not allowed to do anything but act. You're not supposed to pick up a crate. Right. Uh, a light. Yeah. Like literally I've gotten it, in trouble. Yes. You will get in trouble for <laughs> trying to help out on set uh, because yeah. 
it, union rules state that you stick to your role. And mm-hmm. if suddenly, you know, you start trying to drive uh, the van, the, the Teamsters are going to have a word with you because that's their mm-hmm. job. If you start picking up, you know, a light, the, the, the grip is going to be like, no, sir, that's my job. You're, you're affecting my job and it's, it's not good. So everyone has yeah. to stick to the role. And, and for a good reason to, to a large extent, like, as an actor, your job is to perform in front of the camera. The last thing they need you to do is uh, get sweaty and uh, hurt yourself or break some equipment that you don't know how to operate. And so it's really important that you do stay in your lane, even though I know that feeling, especially the first several times I was on set, I felt really lazy because I wasn't uh, carrying gear or anything. And it took me a little while to understand that. And, And it probably didn't really fully kick in until I was a filmmaker that I don't want my actors doing that thing. Like you stay over there and stay out of the way. Um, we're going to set up and we're going to make you look good, but I only need you to be ready whenever I, you know, call action. Mm-hmm. And so stay in your universe, stay in your world and uh, be prepared for that. Uh, it's, it's critical. It's mission yeah. critical. Yeah. Go in a little bit further. Like, like you said, uh, we're just going to go through writing and story real quick. They did a great job about quick to the characters. It was very focused on developing them. And most importantly, opening on the hook. This is a story about how I met your mother. It's right there in the title. And the premise is a really great hook. People love love stories and they love rom-coms. So they made a sitcom sit rom-com, you know, that is heavily serialized. Uh, most episodes build on the premise instead of a bunch of self-contained bottle episodes. Every episode is constantly exploring to a large degree. I would say just shooting off the hip here, like 90% of these episodes are about Ted kind of exploring his love life. And, uh, and to some extent how that impacts the rest of the group. And we all see their stories develop, of course, but the, the core of the show, how I met your mother is, very much dedicated to exploring that path. There's a lot of other shows that have a strong premise, but veer off for chunks at a time before getting back on track. This, I never really feel very far away from the the core element uh, throughout the show. And I love a good love story. And even though we don't really meet the mom until the final season, that going back to casting again, that's got to be the hardest thing in the world to cast like we have these core characters and now we need to insert another core character and she needs to feel like she fits in with everyone here and she's the love of ted's life and you know throughout the show we see a variety of women and types and they all are great to some extent or another but they most of them don't feel exactly right either we're like no this isn't she's amazing but she's not right for ted uh and then once you finally meet her you're like oh She's not what I expected, but damn it. If she isn't right, <laughs> that's hard. That's so yeah, hard. It's very hard. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. And Kristen Milioti is amazing. And I love that for the last uh, season, they give her main credits uh, as well as the very final episode at the very end. Whenever, after he's holding the, the French horn, they cut to this kind of backtrack of all the original cast members and they insert her into it as well, which they should. It's the smart thing. She's a title character, yeah. uh, but they didn't have to like, she was only there for one season, but they still treated her as an equal to the rest of the cast, which is right. I think really damn cool. And it's really hard for someone to come in after so many seasons and everybody, you know, the, the, all the whole audience 
wants Ted to end up with Robin. Everyone wants Ted to end up with Robin. And so to have to bring someone else in and for for them to take on that that role and that responsibility of like, okay, now I I need to get everybody to want me yeah. to marry Ted, you know, <laughs> that's, that's something hard to do in a very short amount of time. Uh, and so late in the game. So. Yeah. Incredibly difficult. And for me, I, I think they nailed it. Like I was very yeah. happy with all of that. As far as, uh, the, the pilot again, uh, the voiceover I really liked and they use this throughout the show. I'm hit or miss on voiceover stuff here. I think it works really, really well, especially for flashing back and forward. The, the, the narrator really helps to establish, uh, the exposition and they use them to great comedic effect throughout the entire run of the show. Like in the, in the pilot episode, you see them, Ted is going up, you know, he's, he's suited up finally. And, uh, he has the French horn he's walking up to the, the door to ring the bell and they freeze frame and he's the vo- the narrator kicks in. I forgot one minor detail and they whip pan transition to the flashback of her at dinner. I have five dogs <laughs> and immediately flashback forward to five dogs barking at 1am and waking everybody up. Like, yeah, that's a really great use of all those elements that, you know, we're going to be using for the rest of this show. The, the narrator is playing his part to get laughs. And you're also using the flashback to inform the audience and build up an anticipation and a payoff. But also, I really love that they use the, the whip pans. I don't see this hardly used on any show. Um, and so I'm, I always kind of enjoy when I see a good whip pan transition. And that's that effect where you see that that blur whenever they, they flash back to something and there's this like really quick uh, streaky blur that that's just a whip pan and they have i want to say these pre-built whip pans like they don't actually whip pan in and out of these scenes which i like to do personally on uh when i can insert it into a a a video i film a take and at the end of the take i will whip pan out and that just means uh, if you're on a tripod you're panning quickly left or right as quickly as possible you're going from a dead stop and then you're whenever you're ready to start the transition, you literally just yank the the, the tripod to the left or to the right, uh, so that that motion, that blurry, uh, kicks in, and that becomes a cutting point. So that whenever you cut to your next sequence, your next scene, you're you're starting with the whip pan into the scene, and so mm-hmm. you know you whatever. Uh, I have five dogs and, and you're whip panning back into that scene. Uh, so that whenever you get into post, you have these two really weird edits that look weird on its face. You know, you're, you're ending a scene and that's blurry. And then you're starting a scene that's blurry. And the, the whip pan in is much harder than the whip pan out because you need to start a scene on point and you need to have a really strong, uh, feel for where the frame should land because mm-hmm. you're you're starting off frame like you, you the camera's looking to the left and it needs to be centered you know to, to the right and suddenly you have to just nail your frame uh that's a challenge and it takes a seasoned professional hopefully uh to nail that but in post it, it creates this really fun transition that you can either hard cut between like you get about halfway through the the whip pan out and halfway into the whip pan in and it creates a seamless transition or sometimes and i i tend to like the uh like a very small cross dissolve between the two instead of a hard edit i'll just blend like five frames in between them and it becomes even more seamless Uh, and it's just a 
it's a fun style that if the opportunity calls for it, it adds, I think, a level of polish and production quality that uh, you don't see anywhere else that that all these kind of pre-built transitions aren't going to give you because uh, it's built into the production. And so, yeah, I love that they use those, even though they don't use them the exact same way that I do. Uh, they're still really fun to me. And yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I love about the show is because of all the flashbacks and forwards and tinkering with time, there's a lot of very, very tiny setup and payoff Easter eggs. If you know what you're watching, like if you've only seen it once, you probably missed out on these Easter eggs because you have to know what's happening and what's going to happen. So like in the first season, there's Ted meets uh, this girl, Victoria. And he meets her at a wedding and she's a baker. Um, and it becomes this whole thing about uh, them meeting and not knowing each other's names, blah, blah, blah. And we don't find out until towards the end uh, of this whole whatever arc uh, that, oh, it was the baker at the wedding. Well, they set up that the baker's uh, playing a part like two or three episodes before that when they're just talking about the wedding itself. And Ted bumps into the, the bride uh, on the street and he's like, yeah, I'm really excited. You know, my plus one's coming and it becomes this whole thing about you don't have a plus one. And whenever he bumps into her, though, she's on the phone yelling at the baker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's Victoria. Like she's yelling at Victoria bef- way before we ever meet Victoria. Um, but it's just this little tiny Easter egg. And the show is laced with these things. Oh, yeah. Like you probably most people probably don't know that Conan O'Brien is a background extra in one of these episodes. Um <laughs> Did not know that. So random. But if you're not looking around, uh, you're just going to miss a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a lot of really fun, tiny things that uh, if you're, you know, curious about those things, at some point, I kind of want to make a video kind of pointing these things out. But uh, that's going to call for a very bored Wes. uh, (laughs) Yeah. And it's going to be a long video because there's a million of them. A million. Um, I do. I do love at the end where you think that you know, that Robin is the mother. And then you, and then he says this, then that was the story of how I met your aunt Robin. What? (laughs) Cut. Right. It's just like, Oh snap. Okay. And then you never meet the mother, the actual mother until later on. It's so much, it's so much fun to go on that journey. Right. And, and you're almost like almost heartbroken, broken throughout the whole time because you know, they're not going to end up together, but you love them together, you know, and you're thinking, thinking the whole time, what is going to happen? What is to, to stop this? What is going on? Even when they're not together, when they're apart and they're like dating other people, you're just like, what is, you know, like, what's going to be the straw, you know? Yeah, it is. And that mystery, you know, definitely keeps us on our edge and uh, entertained for sure. But I also love that this and this is a similarity we can see between friends and cheers and now how I met your mother, that a love story is kind of at the core of keeping people hooked as people were just fascinated with relationships and love and you know, this isn't a show about how they discovered the Higgs boson. Like this is, yeah. it's about the most basic fundamental reality of being a human being, which is love and establishing a family um, and, you know, uh, progeny. Like it's about this very simple universal concept. And ultimately they just went much harder into it than Cheers or Friends did. They said, not only is that, you know, going to be what we're, we're talking about, that's going to be the main thing. And we're going to put it front and center and uh, make sure people understand, because I'm yeah. sure in 2005, when this aired, 
it was getting crowded, you know, in the sitcom territory and harder to get people to notice you. So any small thing you could do to kind of stand above the crowd. Uh, and for a while, it probably, especially the first several, you know, the first season probably felt gimmicky, like, uh, when are they just going to meet the mom? And after a time you begin to realize there's much more to these characters, story than just meeting one person. Um, yeah. And when, if it's how I met your mother, once you meet the mother, that's the beginning of the end of the story. Cause I mean, it's, cause it's, it's in the title. Like, okay, yeah. I know how I'm, I, I know how you met mom. Now, now what I'm <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah, I, I get it. So it's, it's so brilliant to make that the name of the, of this, of the show and not give it to us for seven years. And, eight they, years. and they filmed those kids at the end of season two. So they figured out at the end of season two, exactly how the finale would go. Like they said, you know, I'm sure there were details within the finale, but as far as how they were going to wrap up everything with Ted and Robin, um, they knew exactly. And with the mom, they knew how that story ended. Even if they didn't know all the details around it, they said, this is, we got to write that scene right now and keep it hidden away. They had those actors, uh, Lindsay Fonseca, and I don't know the, the guy's name. Um, they had to sign like these NDAs. What, the kids? Yeah, because no. no one knew except them and like three other people in the room, like the sound man. Uh, That's crazy. The producers, like they had to keep a very tight set and they couldn't talk about it for what, another six years, seven years? Like that had to be painful. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Really Damn. crazy. And a lot of foresight. Like that's a, that's a hard thing to, to commit to and say, you know what? This is what we're going to do. And we're not going to do it for another five, six years. Well, maybe they didn't know it was going to be five or six years, right? Maybe they they thought, well, you know, if we get three seasons, let's just film it now so that maybe we'll have six more years. But if we don't, we'll just, you know, like who knows, right? But yeah, that's really smart and crazy they did that. As it goes. Uh, I don't have a lot in terms of cinematography. It's very basic coverage. Um, like they they really don't go out of their way as far as cinematography goes uh, to distinguish itself. It's not nearly as filmed uh, like Friends or Cheers. But one difference that I found really interesting was that this was not filmed in front of an audience because there was just too many setups. And so what they would do, though, is they would shoot it, edit it, and then show it to an audience. And that would be how they captured the laugh track would be showing. No. showing oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it wasn't just them, you know, pumping in fake, uh, laughs. It would be, we're, we're going to have to figure out where our timing is comedically. And then if the audience starts trampling our lines, cause that's the hard part about not filming in front of the audience. You don't know when they're going to stop laughing. And in friends, you can always feel that they're, they're waiting for the audience laughter to die down before they perform the next line. Same thing with cheers. Uh, and here they just got to have to wait with it. And I think it, benefits to the performance to a large degree because they're staying in character and they're thinking through their scenes. And I think it also means that this show as compared to friends is not afraid of serious moments and, uh, emotional moments. I was always really happy with their ability to go there and take those moments very seriously and not undercut them constantly. And there's not like tons and tons of them, but there's a lot, there's more than you would expect out of a, a sitcom. And I just really appreciated that. But the other part about not filming in front of an audience is I assumed in the, in the pilot, they show that back wall in the bar in order to reduce the, 
as they start, as the season went and as the seasons go, they stop showing that back wall after a certain point very often. Like they'll, they'll show it here and there very, very sparingly. Wait, the back wall, you mean like the corner? Yeah. So like the corner. Yeah. From the perspective of the bartender, like you never see mm-hmm. this, the setup breaking that 180 degree rule. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. They, they stay on a certain side of the table, uh, except in the pilot In the pilot, they're showing you, you know, the a full 360 of the, of the area, but I think they stopped doing that after the pilot or after a certain period of episodes because it's disorienting to have a laugh track where you're seeing where the audience should be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of creating this disembodiment, you know, effect of wait, where am I supposed to be at right now? If, if I'm not where the audience is and owning their perspective. And so I think they stopped doing that as much. Uh, and we see them sitting in multiple places. Like we see Ted at one point with the goatee in the corner. We see Mm -hmm. them when he's, when he's telling them that he didn't kiss her at a table in the middle of the bar. We, and then at the, towards the end where the, the cab driver is sitting with them, then they're at their booth. They're at the bar. They're like all over the place. Maybe it was them testing it out. Like, like, Exploring. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. I, no, I think that's probably right. I mean, you don't really know what's going to feel the most natural and iconic. Mm-hmm. And, and the set is so important for sitcoms because these are the two spaces that everyone's going to live, right? And friends, it's the coffee shop in their apartment. And, and cheers, it's the bar. That's the only place you really visit. And, and how I met your mother, it's the bar and their apartment. And you have to make sure this feels right and that you, make the audience feel like they're at home. And so building that out and picking the right spot, I think you're probably right. They were just exploring some of the space and they kind of said that this gives us the most opportunity to play and be connected with our actors. And so they still, you know, to a degree explore the the space as the seasons go, but like 90% of their time is spent at that one table uh, and that becomes yeah. their space for sure. And they even, you know, have episodes where they fight over that space and all the silliness uh, mm-hmm. that, that goes with that. But oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically all I got for this guy. Cool, cool. Well, I definitely would recommend it to anybody uh, looking for, you know, pretty much like a, a feel-good show that will give you a lot of payoff, you know, because some shows they don't give you, pay, you know, they're funny and they're they're like enjoyable, but they don't give you like the the, the payoffs of being a, a consistent watcher like this show does. Like it is... I would I would argue one of the best shows for feeling like you've you've got an inside point of view on things um, where like something will happen. You'll be like, oh, that was from season two. You're I'm in season five. That was from season two when the chick did the thing and within with the dude and and you notice those things. And so and it, it makes you feel like, oh, I'm so glad that I watched season two. Right. Cause now I can pick that up and I noticed that they, that they called that out. Oh, I'm so glad that I watched that episode four episodes ago because then they brought that up. You're and totally it's right. Fantastic. Yeah. The, the payoff is so much better if you're, if you've been following along and watching in order, like much more than the other two shows, cheers and friends. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh, the pineapple incident. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I remember that and how weird it was and how we never got an answer or whatever. And the goat. And the goat, <laughs> and I love at the very end of the, the, the show, 
they walk you back through all these characters that you met along the yeah. way. And that had to be the hardest shot in the entire show because scheduling Jennifer Morrison and uh, Sarah Chalk and all these amazing actors onto the same day, onto the same scene, rehearsing it, blocking it and nailing it where they have this really long one take where they walk you through everybody's life as it is uh, today. Like you yeah. don't get that. I've never seen that in another sitcom ending, not off the top of my head. And I've, I've seen a few of these, I guess, uh, long running sitcoms and it's, that's really cool. And it's a really great payoff that says, you know, we appreciate our fans and, uh, mm -hmm. we're, we're building and the writing. I'm just really impressed because the writing was a little clunky, like I was saying, but it doesn't take them long to, to find the rhythm and to make really great jokes because even in the final episode, uh, they're still making new inside jokes instead of just, you know, Barney loves suits. They're going to find new ways to play with that. Whereas opposed to, to friends, I feel like by the final season, they were just basically, you know, Joey likes sandwiches and the audience laughs like in, in this, mm -hmm. it's not just Barney likes suits and everybody laughs. It's Barney's built out an entire, uh, secret wardrobe and he can't pick out his tie. And, uh, the tie yeah. is the most important thing, but the tie is a metaphor for his marriage. And like they use these things in really fun ways and they're constantly reinventing their own tropes in a way that I never felt friends did. And I felt like they just kind of phoned it in after a certain point. Um, whereas Carter Bays and, uh, Craig, Thomas, Craig Thomas, we're just constantly playing and experimenting and finding new things like the final episode, Barney and high fives. And instead of making it a, a, a just another high five, they're like, we're going to have a high five to end all high fives that'll ring throughout eternity. And it's the high infinity. Mm -hmm. And, and they make a, a, a Ghostbusters reference, which is also in the pilot. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And I just love that they're constantly thinking, not just how can we insert our own kind of running themes and, and tropes, but how can we make them fresh and new again? And even yeah. if, you know, you, you know, it's coming, they're going to do it in, you know, a slightly different way and a slightly different yeah. take. And, uh, I just really appreciate the writing as the show progressed. I, I'm hoping I get to see something from these two guys again at some point. Agreed, man. Nice. Um, awesome. Yeah. So what are you going to recommend? Uh, something not at all like this. In fact, the complete opposite of this, uh, you know, we've been recommending shows lately, but kind of going back to films and a film that I have been for whatever reason, been wanting to rewatch. Um, I think just cause I have this like hankering to see like an, an amazing performance. Uh, but I'm going to recommend, I'm going to recommend there will be blood. Ooh. Um, which I told you is totally, not like this, um, <laughs> but who gives, who cares, yeah, yeah. right? It doesn't have to be <laughs> on the same path there, but I've always been a massive fan of Daniel Day-Lewis. I think that how, I mean, okay, I'm a massive fan of, of someone, a, a, a an actor like Daniel Day-Lewis, whose method and then Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix, who is pretty much the polar opposite of that, where like no, like roles don't affect him. You know, he's, you know, when he's done, when the yell cut, he's fine and he's laughing, right? He, he's the, the opposite of that, but he can get to the same place that Daniel Day Lewis can get to, who is literally in character constantly all the time and has to, like, he has to be like, that's the way he, that he acts. And so acts. And so it's like, there's this dichotomy of, you know, how you get to the truth, right? Some people need 
it to be the truth in order to get to it. And others can create their own truth. And this movie is just, I mean, he's done some really intense stuff like gangs of New York and, and, uh, uh, well like gangs of New York and, (laughs) and it's, it's, which is still really, really good. But this is like this quiet brutality that is, I, to me, his best performance, um, because of that, you know, in gangs of New York, he's brutal, but he talks a lot. Yeah. He barely says anything half the time. He never says the real thing, uh, in this movie, but he barely says anything and it's just acting to the 10th power. It's un unreal. Um, so yeah, there will be blood. Nice. Really Mm -hmm. good. I'm going to stick with the shows and I'm going to recommend on Netflix. There's a show called black AF. Um, It's technically hashtag black AF and it's absolutely incredible. Like I was not a huge fan of blackish and it's, it's fine. I don't know. I, I guess I'm just not an Anthony Anderson fan. Like there's moments that I like him, but I, I'm just not going to tune in week after week for, for him. And so for whatever reason, blackish never caught on for me. But the same creator behind that uh, steps in front of the camera and as a, as the creator of Blackish, he steps in front of the camera. So it's kind of a Seinfeld and imagine Kirby enthusiasm kind of thing. Yes, very much exactly yeah. that. Uh, so it's like Larry David went off and created Kirby enthusiasm. He created Black AF and this show is so funny um, because it takes aim at everybody. I mean, it's certainly, you know, discussing black culture and black history. It's also ex- exploring you know just the uh the the life of you know a black family who's who's mega rich um and so it's it spares absolutely nobody and it's i was literally just watching it by myself and laughing hysterically it's it's fantastic so i'll you know put a trailer in the show notes uh that you can check out along with uh the there will be blood yeah so Check those out and stay tuned for next week. We're going to take on uh, perhaps our final sitcom of the uh, of this little detour uh, when we cover Seinfeld, the pilot for Seinfeld. And uh, yeah, so tune in for that. And don't forget, subscribe, review us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to us at. I have no idea how people find us. <laughs> and if you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash how I met your mother. And our quote of the day we're going to leave you with is from Maya Angelou. Love recognizes no barriers. It jumps hurdles, leaps fences, penetrates walls to arrive at its destination full of hope. Just like Ted Mosby. Yeah. <laughs> it's so and obvious. steals blue French horns yes, off right. walls of restaurants. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that is, that's beautiful. And that makes me actually like, you know, like it's an endearing thing that Ted is like that. You know, I, I think that in, in some way we all would love to be like that. And society, you know, kind of makes us feel like that's crazy. Yeah. You're insane, you know, but sure. You know, I wanted to tell my wife I loved her way before I thought that I should have. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh yeah, but why why not? Why not? I love you know? it. Go crazy. Go crazy. Love's crazy anyway. It really is. Gather you rosebuds while you may. <laughs> you know? Well said. Two quotes of the day. <laughs>
Oh, it's been fun, man. Same. Love it. So, yeah, make sure to join us next week. Like Wes said, we'll be uh, we'll be covering uh, Seinfeld, the pilot episode. I'm very much looking forward to that. Until then, I am Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Shoot up. Shoot up. <laughs> <laughs> That's the two fat naked bikers off the green, off the ninth green, having sex. How am I supposed to chip with that going on? (laughs) 